0: This is The Guardian. I'm Grace Dent and this is Comfort Eating from The Guardian. A podcast where we pay homage to the lesser celebrated foods in life. Because even as a restaurant critic, I believe the food that matters most is often that snack you cobbled together when you curled up on the sofa. Each week, I ask my guest to lift the lid on what comfort foods have seen them through their lives. Because you can tell a lot about a person from what they eat behind closed
1: doors. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics so they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at borough.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at borough.com slash ACAST. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you
0: Hello, friends. You find me, as you so often do, in my kitchen, preparing for another fabulous episode of Comfort Eating. It's Monday morning. No better time in my book for a little snack that I love. It is sweet pickled cucumber slices. I like to get them out of the jar. Just dangle them into my mouth with a little oat milk chaser. (laughs) I like to feel like I'm at a debauched cocktail bar. I'm actually in my own house. Today I have Amma Asante coming round for a chat. She's a BAFTA award-winning movie director with her films like Belle and A United Kingdom telling historical tales of love and the trials and tribulations that come with it. She's also directed the likes of Kate Blanchett and Elizabeth Moss in small screen hits The Handmaid's Tale and Mrs America. Despite all of this, I have got a tune stuck in my head which goes And that is because as a child, Amma Asante starred in, you've guessed it, Grange Hill. She was in all of my favourite storylines and even went to the White House on the invitation of Nancy Reagan for her seminal 1980s anti-drugs campaign. As much as I could make it so, this whole episode won't just be about that. And I want to know what a Hollywood director eats when they've said could and they're back home getting cosy on the couch. Let's just have one more pickle. Or two. Mm Mmm. Asande. Hello. Welcome to Comfort Eating. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Look, this is something that people probably don't realise at home, but you can't be shocked because you're a film and a TV director. I make telly. I spend a lot of time from about the sixth take onwards spitting out the food that I'm eating mm-hmm. on camera. You know when you're doing a take? Yeah. Yeah. And the first one, yeah. fine. The second one, yeah. not so good. And then as a director, how many takes is acceptable before an actor starts spitting food in a bucket? Before they start gagging. Five? Five. I
2: think five. I think five reasonably. I mean, it depends how how good an actor you are because I think if you're not such a good actor, by three we can see it in your face. And if you're a really (laughs) good actor, then maybe by five, I could say, okay, it's, I know six is going to give it away. I know six is going to kind of be the, can't swallow this face, don't want that. So I think for good actors, five, for not so good actors and some, some not so good actors are very charming.
0: What's a good food to be pretending
2: to eat on screen? Mm, Something that doesn't require a lot of chewing. So something that's easy where you're not, you know, not a bit of bad that you're chewing and chewing and chewing and (laughs) chewing, which is not, it's just not very elegant. So something they can chew and swallow easily, you know? Soup. Soup is good. Soup is really good as long as they don't slurp. (laughs) Yeah, that's just, no, that's not good.
0: (laughs) On comfort eating, I ask every guest to bring in their ultimate comfort snack, something that they like to eat that up until now, perhaps they didn't want the whole world to know. Emma, what have you brought me? Oh, Ta-da! oh isn't this uh, wonderful! This, my heart is just filled with happiness. This is the first jug of custard <laughs> that we have seen. Is it really? It's the first jug of custard. <laughs> now, and what these are these? A little. Let me see. They call them different
2: names in different countries, but I call them Madeleine cakes. Sometimes <gasps> I call them Madeleine boats. There's a lot of history behind in. these. No, no, you're doing ah, it wrong. Ah,
0: ah, you're oh, doing no. it wrong. I've made... Put it back. I've made a huge mistake. Put it I'm back. it back in. Sorry. Okay, let's go, let's go. You don't mind custard. I love
2: custard. You have to love custard today. I... This is how you do it. And you need... Wait.
0: Mm. Custard, to me, is one of the biggest proofs that Isn't it? That God exists.
2: It's very, to me, it's very, well, it's luxurious to me.
0: I've got in (laughs) front of me two bowls of spongy madeleines and Amma is spooning custard over them. And it's just happiness. You know, it's all, it's it's comforting and it's Satan and it's sweet. May I say, hot custard hot custard hot
2: custard not a school dinner custard although it does remind me of school dinners and very the very british way of doing yeah. custard
0: very british there's nothing posh about this does this remind you of being a child it, am i am i allowed to go in now yes. i feel like i don't yes. want to make another yes faux pas. as they
2: say in denmark vesco bon appétit in france let's go for it oh um it does remind me of being a child a lot mm-hmm. it reminds me of Of course, school dinners, when they were done well. Mm -hmm. I looked forward to the desserts at school. This dessert reminds me of my dad. Why is that? Because he used to love this dessert. He used to love, he used to send me to the shop and say, go and get a packet of Madeleine's. We were the only two that really enjoyed them. We were the only two that really enjoyed this. And this was, I don't know if he knew that he was making my version of my favourite school dessert or not. I remember saying to my best friend a few years ago, I'm I'm craving like Madeleine cakes. I'm craving rice pudding and I don't know why. And she said, it's your dad's birthday today. You do realize that? Yeah. And it was my dad's and he was gone and and she recognized it and I hadn't, but I just had this terrible, but good craving, you know, terrible, nice craving. And this just makes me, it makes me happy and it makes me feel warm. And it's like, you know, I've got a cup of tea next to me as well cup of tea is like a cuddle from my mum. Mm-hmm. And Madeline's and custard are like a, a cuddle from my dad.
0: People know your films. We're going to come to your BAFTA later. Mm-hmm. Before you were behind the camera, you were in front of it. I'm sorry, everybody, that's true. I, please don't apologise, please, because... I get very excited about this and I'm trying to ke- I'm trying to keep that under wraps and remain professional. You played Cheryl Webb <laughs> in Grange Hill, which for people who don't know was a children's soap on the BBC centered around a fictional school in North London. No, it was real. It was real. <laughs> <laughs> it was real in my heart. It ran for 30 years. Its impact on a whole generation of kids cannot be overestimated. I've got so many questions. If anybody who's listening to this who watched Grange Hill, Emma was part of the the era, like to me the absolute the classic era of <laughs> Zamo and Jackie. Yeah. And yeah. Roland and Benny. Yeah. And like the, the 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 main people, the people that everyone and you and I've I've looked on YouTube and like seen you like in the video, <laughs> just say no and things like that. Getting it all wrong, no, getting it so right. So it's yeah. so, it's really um, it's so lovely to sit here with you in front of me because I'm oh, like, yeah, you were you. you were part of that. Let's start. But what was your favourite storyline?
2: So for me, my my favourite storyline was one of the toughest. I think it was my favorite storyline because I think it's one of the reasons why I'm a director today. And it was the Zamo heroine storyline. I think the kind of combination of the power of that story, its impact on the community that I lived in, Mm. uh, which was just a very average working class community. So its impact on the world around us, our, our local world, the quality of the acting, which I thought was sublime. I think the quality of the writing as well for a children's show, you know, to be able to pull this story into a storyline that kids could understand and that might have an impact on them, might have an effect on a world that was in trouble, heroin wise at I'm that time.
0: So bold, though, to take yeah. the, the really good-looking cheeky chappy of Grange Hill, who everyone loved, and then give him a storyline which adults were quite outraged in a way that this was now in this children's soap where he's taking a class A substance. Yes, I think it was very honest. I think
2: it was very courageous. And I think despite the fact that well, I, I think many of the brilliant people I was working with at the time, the young actors probably didn't know the full impact of, of what, yeah. what 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 they were doing. It planted seeds in me that kind of, sprouted much later, much later in life. The storyline
0: leads to Just Say No. It was this huge anti-drugs campaign led by Nancy Reagan, former first lady of the USA. And then Grange Hill, the kids are asked to the White House to meet her. Like, is there a moment where you're all there about to meet her and you just have this kind of strange out-of-body experience and think what are we doing? I think we were kids Mm -hmm. so
2: I think what we what we knew was that we were there was a possibility of nine of us out of a cast of I think about 25 or something like that but what we knew is that New York and Washington were going to be our destination if we got picked and being picked was like getting the Charlie and the Chocolate Factory golden ticket. Yeah. You know, nobody knew who was going to be chosen until the day an envelope arrived at their door. And I, I can remember knowing that across three days, these envelopes were going to be delivered and I remember seeing a car pull up and a guy get out and he had a big brown envelope in his hand. And I remember screaming at my dad, "Go and answer the door! There's a man!" <laughs> and uh, my dad did. And then and then he looked at it and it had a BBC on the front of the envelope. And so my dad gave it to me and I ripped it open. It really was like yes. it really was like I was like Charlie, and it said, "You you have been invited to go to America." You know, Virgin. <sighs> Airlines had just become a thing at the time and we were going to fly over on Virgin and it said wow. that in the letter. And all of that, it was all that that was a huge
0: adventure that I've never forgotten. What was life like on set on Grange Hill? It was just a lot of fun. Did they feed you on Grange Hill?
2: They did. We were at Elstree Studios along with a brand new soap called EastEnders. Mm. Um, so it would be us and... Dot Cotton and um, Ian Beale and, you know, all of those people who were only just being introduced, really, to an audience at that time. All in the canteen. In the canteen. And we got great, 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 great food, really good food. For me, it was like restaurant-quality food every time, (laughs) every time we got lunch. So it was, they often had steaks. Yeah, they often had a steak and chips and some peas, maybe. Pie and chips, a nice beef pie. They're nice to be poor, as I like to say. Uh, a bit <laughs> poor. I went straight for the meat, straight for the <laughs> potatoes, meat, and vegetables, yeah. as few vegetables as possible. But they, they gave you a good range, and it was always hot. Hot is very important to me, as you might imagine. Yes. You're having your chicken pie and dot cottons there. She was lovely.
0: Yeah.
2: She was lovely. She was always gorgeous and she was always kind.
0: Yeah. Before you were portraying the life of a teenager in North London, you were living the real life of a little girl in South London with your siblings and your parents who had moved to the UK from Ghana. What do you remember of life at home as a kid?
2: So home life is this almost impossible to explain um, to someone who hasn't experienced it. Absolutely inter combination of Ghana in the UK yeah. or a version of Ghana let's let's say a version mm-hmm. of Ghana so
0: um which bits of Ghana
2: well you know I'm hearing the language I'm hearing yeah. my parents um going in and out of English and which is the the one of the languages of Ghana um my parents are both very Ghanaian and both integrated Mm. at the same time outside of the house is is a very white world at that Mm. time it isn't in in Streatham now but it was at that time which was Mm. not necessarily always welcoming or particularly welcoming to Mm. anybody who was black or brown Mm. so it was kind of two different worlds um, and they're definitely. I think you know, as a kid, you you you're definitely in survival mode without knowing that you're in survival mode, mm. and you don't know anything different. You don't you don't have anything else to compare it with. You don't know what it's like to be a little black kid growing up in Ghana or a little white kid growing up in the UK. You're just this this combination of of things. So not many black families around you. Very... No, there was one other black family on the street, and 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 their son was in in my class,
0: but he was a boy. Didn't hang around with boys yeah. so average night amma's house after school who's cooking and what you're having for tea
2: my mum would cook for a few days so what i mean is my mum would cook a good stew yeah and and the stew would she might cook it on a sunday and it would last until a tuesday maybe What so kind of
0: stew i'm gonna need specific it would be ingredients would, in the stew it
2: would be i i have i have to do better because i never learned how to cook <laughs> it myself but it would be um uh, tomato and and onion and um and lots and lots of spices cayenne and, and and black pepper and all sorts of spices really good meat but chopped up chicken Which, uh, sometimes, she, so she'd make the same base of stew, and then she'd either put chicken in it or she'd put beef in it. Right. So that would be often with a good old jell-off rice, a good old garnet and jellof rice, um, often. Which you know, jellof rice was was created uh, to give you everything you needed to give you the, mm-hmm. the, the the vegetables, the rice, the meat. So that that in itself had some meat mixed up in it. It uh, could be some um, chicken, but she'd never give us she'd
0: never give us a chicken gel off rice if it wasn't a chicken stew. If I took you somewhere and went, this is jell-off rice, what's the one thing that if you saw it, you'd go, Grace, this isn't jell-off rice?
2: Oh, my God, if it had currants in it. <laughs> <laughs> if it had currants in it. You're not <sighs> into a currant. I'm not into no. a current, and that, yeah. that's not jello rice. If you put if you put anything sweet in your rice, Maybe. it's, it's not
0: jello rice. What if they said put amma? It's a it's a spin. It's a it's a spin. An- They'd have to spin it away. <laughs> <laughs> they could
2: spin it on back to the kitchen, or to someone else's table, because that's not. I mean, jello rice is my mum to me as well. Yeah. So it's like it's, yeah. if you bring me an inauthentic jello rice, you are. It is blasphemy according yeah. to me. So it's, it's, and I think that yeah. a lot of uh, African kids born in the UK f- pretty much feel the same way. It's like, right. don't, 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 don't bring me. It's, it kind of reminds me of babysitting my nephew one day uh, and he was about two and he said, draw an aeroplane. And I drew an aeroplane and he screamed and said, that's not an (laughs) aeroplane. And because it was not how his mum drew the aeroplane. And it was fundamentally offensive to him that I should do something outside of the way that his mum did it. And that's how I feel about jell Off Rice. Exactly like that.
0: So... When you were 11, mm-hmm. you started stage school Yes, rather than a regular secondary school. Yeah. How does this come about?
2: My dad was, so my dad was the dreamer and my mum was the really practical one, but in mm-hmm. a good way. I had, had a very, very bad experience where my mum who worked, nonstop I'd asked her to take some time off work and come and see me in what was considered an end of term dance class p- performance she had taken time off come along seen the, the performance but I wasn't in it and uh, as we walked home she sort of said I said mum did you enjoy it and she said yeah I loved it but you weren't in it darling where were you and I and I said well I was told at the last minute I couldn't be in it I was only in the finale anyway Um, But I was told I couldn't be in it because the song was called Blue Eyes and I didn't have blue eyes.
0: Oh, hang on. No.
2: (laughs) Yes. It was from that moment that my dad started to look for a stage school for me. Um, But he really wanted me to go to a school that was mixed.
0: Mm.
2: I then audition or, or go for a meeting at Barbara Speaks Stage School, which is a school I end up going to, the drama, the stage school. And I walk in and it's like the kids from Fame. And it's lunchtime and it's raining outside. Leg warmers. There's leg warmers in the stage and they're doing splits in the air and it's all too much. It's too much. I just, I said to my dad, I can't do it. I can't do it. I don't want it. It's
0: exhausting though, because you've walked in and the the stage school kids being stage school kids. Is that not another level of... Outsiderness for because, me. Because <laughs> I mean, could you ever do the splits in midair?
2: No, I couldn't. But I certainly became one of those stage school kids. <laughs> I, I definitely became one. I mean, it didn't. It didn't. It took about a year to convert me, but I did convert. Convert to the church of stage school madness. Tap dancing everywhere, making super, people super, supermarkets. Hi, making people watch your shows that you've made up in the living room yeah I was doing a bit of that anyway with my family but now I was doing it to everyone um so so I was doing it to everyone and everywhere um did your dad
0: always watch what you did everything
2: Yeah, I remember my dad coming to my first school show and this was the kind of healing moment for him and I was singing the greatest love of all um, and my dad, I can just remember my dad seeing my dad in the audience and him. I mean, he was the stagecore dad um, and he loved it. And, you know, he cried because he cried a lot.
0: Your bond with him sounds incredible. Yeah, it
2: was. It was really, really lovely. It, it was, was really
0: lovely. It was food important to the pair of you?
2: Yeah, because because my dad was. He was very much an African man and he was very much the version of the African man who kind of enjoyed cooking for himself and his kids. So yes, when my mum was around, he loved her to cook for him. My dad would come home late from work because he'd start late. So he'd finish late. And he would always say, have you eaten? Mm. And turn to each of us and say, have you eaten? Have you Uh, eaten? Have you eaten? Before he put a spoonful of food in his mouth. Mm. And if we hadn't eaten, He'd want us to eat with him or before he ate. And the other thing he would do is, even if we said yes, he would always say, do you want some? Mm. And that was because I kind of realized he must have seen, experienced or understood difficulty in some way. And I'm not quite sure how because, you you know, Ghana never went through, you know, there was never a lack of food ever Uh, in Ghana. But, you know, I know my dad didn't go to school till he was 11. He got his first pair of shoes when he went to school for the first time. He was a very intelligent man, very intelligent young boy that got, you know, very, very high marks in his district. I think he got the top marks in his district, actually, when he did his mm-hmm. the exams that you took then when you were 16. But I, I think he had experience some form of scarcity and so for him that meant that he had to see that his children were okay before he was okay and food was how he expressed that You
0: left stage school you'd already seen some success, you'd been on telly on Grange Hill, so it seems like a bit of a handbrake turn <laughs> to then go to secretarial college
2: I I, I, I wanted to please my mum and what if she was right? You know, and like I said earlier, I, I didn't really know where I was going. I didn't really know what I was doing. When we started Grange Hill, we were sat down. Everybody that started Grange Hill at that time was sat down and given a sort of verbal instruction manual of how life was going to change. And, and the thing about doing a show like Grange Hill is no, no matter what privileges you do get, uh, you never disconnect from the real world. You're not Madonna. You're not Michael Jackson. You're still always in the real world. Yeah. And so I just go into Secretarial College on Tottenham Court Road. And um, I just I just start the exercises. And I, I, I'm going to have to
0: know some stats here. How many words a minute can you do?
2: I could probably only now probably do about... I probably do about 50 words per minute um, because I'm typing all the time now. And I'm typing, oh, I'm not one of those that uses one finger or no, two no, fingers. No, on? no, no. I type properly. Like,
0: it's really painful when you see someone that is like that. Yeah. Is there a crossover between learning to type and writing a script?
2: 100%. I mean, so so I then, after, after going to uh, secretarial college, I'm doing a um a a, a sort of um I forget what they called them at the time but it was like a work work training course so part of the training is you go and work I start then typing out trying to get my 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 typing speed up and I'm doing it through just doing copy typing through what's in the paper and then I start I start typing out one day a a screenplay that's in my head I give it to a friend the script. The script to say, oh, well, but I've been playing around with something. And I think that you could give this to a writer who could do something with this, who yes. could make this into something. Because I yeah. think there's an idea there. And I've said, it's just, it's just my mum and my dad really. And, and what I don't know is he then passes it on to real executives at Fox uh, Studios in America. And I get called for a meeting.
0: I've got to say that, I've never talked to a BAFTA-winning scriptwriter who only wrote their first script in order to improve their touch typing. (laughs) It was the flukiest fluke.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot,
0: You start working as a writer in your late 20s. Yeah. Your first big TV series is commissioned, Brothers and Sisters. Yeah. Show based on the members of a gospel choir in Liverpool. Yeah. Biggest gig of your career to date. Yeah. And it was one of those productions. You look at the cast list now. (laughs) Yeah. It's It's funny. So many people (laughs) went on to find huge success you look and you go. Oh, it's just Stephen Graham and David Herwood, <laughs> isn't it amazing? Is, uh, I mean, I love you, it. I'm you're... so proud. I really am because they're great people as well. When a fresh actor walks in like that, who goes on to be huge, is there an innate star quality?
2: Yeah, definitely. Oh, it's about to happen again very shortly on a project that I'm working on now, and I I can see it. There definitely is a star quality. It's not something you can break down. They do something with an audience. An audience can relate and engage and wants to go on a journey with them for some reason. And you feel that when they, because they have the same impact
0: on you that they're going to have on everybody else? So you're living in West London at this point. Paint me a picture of what you're doing when you're not working.
2: I'm a bit of a recluse, Hmm. to be honest with you. So at that time I was watching, I I loved TV back then. We didn't have as much,
0: as many options as we have now. I love that you say that you're a recluse because I totally identify with that. Yeah, I like And I I find that people don't, I think they don't believe you when you say that, you know, they don't believe people like me and you that we're recluses. Yeah. yeah. But there is a real joy in just being on the sofa.
2: Yeah, I love it. I love it. And I used to love, you know, it's crazy as it sounds. I mean, today it's what do I do to kind of uh, stop my brain from working. I, I love a good old housewives. I love a, yes. a Beverly Hills or an Atlanta or what. But back then it was it was American soaps. And I loved Sunset Boulevard. What are you I eating loved- at this point? You got some popcorn? I'm eating some of what we're eating now. I can tell you that. Um, I'm eating a lot of custard and sponge. Um, I love a big bag of crisp. I can finish a very large bag of crisp quite quickly. What kind are you going for? Um, onion and chives. I'm going for... How do you feel about a sweet chilli crust? I'm not really that into no. a sweet, unless it's a good Asian sweet and sour. That's the whole thing yeah. with the currants and the jello fries. Yeah, I know, I, yeah. like, I don't like the sweet with the savoury. The only people I think that can do it really well are, if it's in Korean food or Thai food, give it to me any day of the week. I will spend my life, like a good sweet beef something or other. Yeah, I can do that. I can do if 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 it, if it's Asian influence, then I can I can do that. I love that. So yeah, I'm usually a, 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 a good double packet of Jaffa cakes, two packets. Yeah, I can go through. That's actually very impressive. It's very impressive, is it? <laughs> very impressive. I can do. I can, and I don't feel sick. And at that time, I mean, if you invited me on this program to be a good influence. <laughs>
0: I'm, I've already I'm, given up I'm on gonna that. I'm going to let you honest. down because
2: a good two liter bottle of Coke next to me to wash it all down. I'm sorry. I mean, not water. Coca-Cola, full fat. None of this diet stuff. And there was no zero back then.
0: It's the is You're in West London. Yeah, you could be in some of the greatest nightclubs ever. Was, could be, but where you are actually is you're on the sofa and you've got two packets of Jaffa cakes yeah. and a liter of. What we call full-fat coke. Yeah, full-fat. I love it. What a queen. Yeah. Your writing is going well, but then you add another string to your bow, you start directing. Yes. Your first feature film called A Way of Life about a teenage mother in a dilapidated Cardiff council flat. You write and direct it. Mm. It's like you weren't going to let anyone misinterpret your words. Now you have full control. Whatever you (laughs) did, it absolutely works because this film wins a BAFTA for outstanding debut. Are you someone who celebrates with food?
2: I do, but I don't know if you'd call it celebration food. I do remember that night I got home because I went to parties, many parties afterwards. So I got home quite late, five in the morning, maybe four. And um, I had a chip butty because a chip butty and I'm still drinking my tea and a good cup of tea is, it's, it's comfort food. I, 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 yeah. I, I say I have comfort food much more than cele- um, celebration food, if that I makes think sense.
0: it's the same thing though. You don't have to have no. oysters and caviar to yeah, celebrate. Exactly.
2: And I think because I'm, I am, have always been that recluse, it was a lot. It's a lot. And I kind yeah. of want to get home and I want to get my clothes off and I want to wrap the duvet around me. And I kind of um, want, to, I want to feel okay and safe again, um, to be honest with you, um, mm. because it's a bit of an outer body experience, to be honest with you.
0: Your films have been set in 18th century England, mm-hmm. pre-independence Botswana mm-hmm. and Nazi Germany. Yes. <laughs> they are often tales of love, And the difficulties that come with it. Yeah. What makes you choose the stories that you do? I go back to Grange Hill.
2: And I think that the impact of story and culture. I was never going to be a politician. I didn't think I could be a doctor. But I understood that I could tell stories and impact people's lives. And so I always want to use story to suggest a bitter pill or offer a bitter pill. But part of that is to sugar the pill as well. And I think love is uh, universal. Hopefully we've been loved by someone in our lives. And if we haven't, then we've usually loved
0: someone. So we all know something of what that is. You're in your 30s, you're researching a movie and you meet the man who becomes your husband, Soren. I do. Yeah. So how does this innocent research trip turn into a whirlwind romance, probably because I wasn't being very innocent <laughs> um,
2: <laughs> um, so um, it's the weirdest thing that's ever happened to me you know i I go over and I need information from this man, and this man is is not being forthcoming um Where and, are you I, i'm in I'm in England and he's in the Netherlands he's in The hague uh working at Europol, which is the European police. And uh my assistant has found him, has found that this, this is the person that can give Amma the information she needs and she's tried many times to, to get him to to have a meeting with me and eventually he agrees, and of course I get there and he I travel all the way from England and he's Got the cheat to not even be there when I get to to, to the country to see him, so I have to wait in the canteen of of Europol, and then and I'm waiting there, and lunch is just finishing up there. Reminded me of Elstree, by the way, mm-hmm. the canteen, and then uh, everybody's sort of disappearing, and as everybody disappears, I just see this man coming towards me, weaving his way towards me and my assistant, and um, I I can't explain it. I just yeah. knew that that was gonna be my husband and I, have, I can't tell you why it's the there was nothing about him that was special in any way and he's heard me tell this story many times so he <laughs> accepts it yeah. but it was he's very ordinary very ordinary but I just knew he was gonna be my husband you met in a canteen we met in a canteen because I'm classy like that
0: <laughs> is food important to your relationship
2: he loves through cooking. He says he hates it, but he loves. And we had an argument on Saturday, and then and then I went to make my own dinner after I got off the, this, a couple of Zoom calls, and I went. And then he rushed to the kitchen and was like, "Are you, are you doing that by yourself?" And I was like, "Yes, I'm just going to chop up some." Onion and put it into my my fish paste and put it on my bread and just have a very sad you know Saturday night meal and he was determined to to cook and I actually gave him a night off
0: but he he cooks well and I love his cooking. You moved to Copenhagen, yeah, and you're still there now, yeah. How tough a transition is it moving away from the UK?
2: It's a big transition for me. It's yeah. a very very big transition. I think if you look like a Dane,
0: it's fine. So is your diet at home very Danish? My
2: diet at home is... It's very soren, which is my husband. I don't know if it's very Danish, but it's very soren, which is usually, you know, some good meat... Uh, he likes to experiment every now and then we had ravioli was one of the dishes at our wedding and I never knew ravioli could be so good. And so
0: not like the stuff out of a tin.
2: No, it, no, <laughs> like, it was so yeah. good. It was so, yeah. so good. And we got married in Paris. So it was, you know, whatever the French do with ravioli. Yes. He's a little bit experimental for somebody who, who, who makes ordinary meals. It's not very Danish because, you know, very Danish to me is herring and I, I can't do herring.
0: What is and it about herring? What did herring do smell. to you?
2: It's the smell. It's really the smell, and I, 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 I had. Uh I had pneumonia not very long after arriving in Denmark. And I I remember sitting at a big family dinner and a herring being passed around the table and not knowing that I had pneumonia. And I was feeling so sick. And I could smell the herring as it came round and then it got under my nose. And I just remember my whole body kind of going into waves and thinking my stepmother-in-law will never forgive me if I throw up at her beautiful table. And so now I have that fear as well attached to it.
0: You know, I've got herring and sultanas. Oh That's yeah, two things that you don't like. That just should not be said in the same sentence. What do you <laughs> really miss from South London when you're in fancy Copenhagen? Really basic things. Cream crackers.
2: Jacob's cream crackers. Jacob's cream crackers I really, really miss. Like buttered cream crackers. Buttered cream no? crackers. Oh, yeah. oh. Uh, Kipling cakes, all kinds of yes. Kipling cakes.
0: Little, uh, what, the little individual apple pies? The little oh. apple
2: pies and the, the thingy well tarts. What are they called? The Bakewell tarts. The Bakewell tarts. And, and Mr.
0: Kipling Bakewell tarts. Don't the,
2: have them in Copenhagen. No, the lemon slices they don't have. So I miss all of that. I miss really, even a good, just a straightforward PG tips.
0: <laughs> you know, builder's Patton. tea. Yeah, that's what you asked for when you came in. I loved that I offered you a cup of tea. And you said, is it builders? I don't want any of those fancy. I exactly. <laughs> don't want You were living in fear that I was going to bring you like a fennel and rose oh, hip. Oh, God.
2: <laughs> exactly. When I was a baby, I remember I'd be tied on my mum's back, like you see African women mm. carrying their babies. So I had this little red plastic cup with a lid on the top yeah. with a teat. And yeah. she'd put my tea in it. And I'd drink tea as a little, as soon as I could, drink by myself I'd be on her back and I'd be drinking my tea so tea again that's why I said tea's like a cuddle from my mum to yeah. me so and it yeah. has to be normal tea you know
0: Ama Asanto You've been an absolute joy. Thank you for comfort eating with me.
2: Thank you so, so much, so, so much. I hope this will now be one of your new <sighs> comfort foods.
0: All I want to do is <laughs> put a tracksuit on and drink the custard from the jug. There is that. There you go. That's so wrong. Is it wrong?
2: It's not so wrong. There's Thanks no such prepared. thing as wrong when it comes to food. or have
0: got a I'm gonna. Let, I'm <laughs> gonna use that as an excuse. <laughs> This episode of Comfort Eating was produced by Jack Claremont. The executive producer is Lucy Greenwell. The music was written by Axel Kokutie. Mixing and sound design was by Solomon King. If you like comfort eating, then please go and leave us a review and you can follow or subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And use the hashtag ComfortEatingPod to get in touch about the podcast or share your own comfort eating delights.
1: This is The Guardian.